1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, reading Isaiah, prophet, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Paul goes on, he goes, but God has revealed them to us through a spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And then he, and then he, he, he tries to apply it to us. He's applying it to us. He says, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Okay, now here's a conclusion. Here's what we conclude and can conclude on that. He goes, now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man, he doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can the natural man even know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct God? But we have the mind of Christ. Father, we have before us this area of and passage of scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds to this word. Help us to walk out of here. Your disciples, help us to walk out of here. If there's anyone in here that doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray, God, that today is the day that they stop with religiosity and they begin with relationship. The relationship that will save for all eternity. I pray, Lord, for those in here that don't have that relationship, draw them to you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I, I can't make somebody get saved, but Lord, you can, you can draw them. You can provide the way. And then soften their hearts. And then, Lord, may they respond to you, your love, your mercy, and your grace, that they too would become a brother and a sister of yours, of Christ. A child of you, Lord. 
never to be lost ever, ever again. Lord, I, I, I lift that to you. And I pray, God, that we who are Christians in here would be encouraged, we'd be challenged, we'd be changed, and we'd walk out of here knowing that, God, you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And so, Lord, I pray that you just bless this time, your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul, back in Acts chapter 17, we see him going through Corinth. Uh, He tries to, to reach them on a very human wisdom level tries to speak to them, going back a couple of weeks in the message, you know. Um, I say this just to, to, to grab a quick little foundation to what I'm about to say. He used the human wisdom and the human philos- uh, philosophers of his day, of the history that Greece... Uh, I'm sorry, in Greece. He, he was in Greece in, in, in Acts chapter 17. And he was, this is the latter half of chapter 17. And he was there and he was on the Areopagus there in Greece, in Athens. And he was speaking to them. Uh, we've all heard of Greek mythology. Um, there in Athens on the Areopagus, they had all these different gods up there in statues and and. Paul went in and there was one statue to the unknown God and Paul used that opportunity to try to speak to the men there on the Areopagus, which was a meeting place for all the very, uh, the intellectuals, uh, the men of the city. Back in that day, it would be, you know, you'd, you'd find uh, wheelchair uh, uh, tracks of Stephen Hawking you know, uh, that had worn well to go to the Areopagus. The Dawkins, you know, the Sagans, and different minds that we look at and we go, these guys are geniuses, and rightly they are. They're geniuses, they're smart. And this is where they would gather and they would hear and they would listen and they would they would measure one against the other and they would you know, intellectualize and check the academia of the people who would speak and so on and so forth to see whether or not you're worthy to be listened to or not. You know, What it is that you say, should we listen to it? Should we adhere to it? Should we understand it? Should we even want to know more about it? And so on and so forth. And so Paul felt like I need to get up there and I need to speak to them on this level. And so he ends up bringing out, there were three different poets. I can't remember the other. One was Euripides, the other was Epimenides. And, and these are guys Guys that they that they uh, they espoused as really their heroes, the great thinkers that they would espouse, and they go, oh well, Epimenides would say, and they would use that as an argument, and and they would use that because Epimenides had a great mind, and that's what they would fall back on that great mind, and so that's what was structuring and and creating in them this this warehouse of knowledge, whether it be moral, whether it be spiritual, whether it be intellectual warehouse that they each had in their mind, it was formed and fashioned by these great thinkers who had long passed, 
Some may have still been alive at the time, but Paul, he goes in and he tries to use those words, the words and some of the poetry and some of the the dissertations of some of these um, great thinkers in order to use their language, use their intellect and try to capture the hearts and the minds of the thinkers on that Areopagus, on Mars Hill. And, And not many people, there was never a church that was created there in Athens in Paul's time, not through Paul's ministry. And, and there wasn't really, there was a couple of people that did get saved. But there wasn't a lot of people. Not many people came to know the Lord. A church wasn't started there in the very next place that he goes. Acts chapter 18, we, we see is that he goes into Corinth. And as he goes into Corinth, here he pens this word. He says, when I came to you, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. I didn't come to you in the wisdom of men. I didn't come to you trying to intellectualize you into the kingdom. No, I came in with one point, one point only, and that's what I focused on and stayed on the entire time that I was with you. And I believe he was there for about three years. Two and a half, three years, something like that. Paul started a church there in Corinth. It became a great city for the Christian faith. Even amongst all the debauchery that lived there, you remember in Corinth, there was a, 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 it was a city that had a temple to Diana, a false god, a woman god, who was the goddess of fertility, who espoused a thousand prostitutes in order to sacrifice unto Diana. Men, women would go and pay the, 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 the sacrificial amount of money and then sleep with these various temple prostitutes in order to appease Diana. That was their religious practice. And they felt like, hey, I'm giving unto the, the, the God of this city what the God of this city is requiring of me. And it was all self-indulgent. It was all flesh. It was a pretty bad place. And yet Paul started a church there. Our city doesn't have that. Our city is wrapped up in a lot of, you know, as is in most cities across the United States of America. We've got some pretty ugly sexual depravity and debauchery that goes on in our own city. I understand. But we don't have a temple set up to a false god where it was legal. Not just legal. But it was encouraged to go and pay for sexual practices and favors. And in so doing, you are actually appeasing a God. Paul, God sent Paul to that place. Not to intellectualize them into the kingdom of God. He went there and he says, no, I came with one point and one point and I was going to, I have one nail in my tool bag, in my my nail sack. And I'm going to pound that nail until that nail is driven in hard and secure And it's this one nail. It's, I came to you, I determined to know nothing among you except this one nail, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. I'm not going to talk to you about the wisdom. He says, you know, my speech, my preaching, it wasn't with persuasive words of human wisdom, but it was in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And as I shared last week, your wisdom or your testimony, not your wisdom, but your testimony is that which is something that no one can argue with. 
You remember I said that Paul was with weakness. That word weakness, last week we looked at it, and it actually speaks of impotence. Paul understands that when I come in there, I am impotent. I am without power. We understand God as being omnipotent. Omni is all, potent is power. He's all powerful. Impotent is im without potent power, without power. And so Paul is going in there and he's saying, I have no power to change one life. I have absolutely zero power to affect any change in any of you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce to you what it is that has changed my life and allow him to do the change in you because I'm powerless. I'm going to introduce to you Jesus Christ and him crucified and that's the only nail I'm going to be hammering in this city. And a great church was put in Corinth. Oh, they had problems. Paul had to write two letters to him. But he also wrote blessings to them also. The church was a, a good church there. Again, with problems. But Paul did a great job ministering to that church because he had one focal point. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And He shared with them His testimony. Here's what God has done in my life. Here's, here's who God is. Here's what God has done in my life. The testimony of God. He says, when I came, I did in demonstration. I, in demonstration, that's His testimony. I did My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words, verse 4, of human wisdom, but in demonstration. It was His testimony. It was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that when you see my testimony, you see what God has done in my life. When you see the effect, the effectual change in my life that God has wrought because I have accepted Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I've cast away religiosity, I've accepted relationship, and my life has radically changed. This is the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that is afforded to all of us. When that happens... He says, your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Because here's the thing, guys. If we can talk someone into the kingdom of God, we can talk that they can be talked out. Spurgeon said this, it's ours to speak the truth boldly. And in every case, we shall be a seat saver unto God. But to temporize in the hope of making converts is to do Evil that good may come. And this is never to be thought of for an instant. The word temporize. He says, but to temporize in the hope of making converts. The word temporize literally means to adopt a particular course in order to conform to the circumstances. Or to yield to current or dominant opinion. Cambridge, they, they define it this way, to delay in making a decision or stating your opinion in order to gain an advantage. Another dictionary, to effect a compromise. Paul says, you know, here, here's, what, here's what Spurgeon is saying, to compromise, to compromise so that people will listen to you to, to become like them so that, so that, that you know, to, to, 
to, to be just like them in all things and not showing a radical change just so you can get them to be saved? Paul says, listen, or what Spurgeon's saying, to temporize in the hope of making converts is to do evil that good may come. It's the idea that the end justifies the means. The means is that I'm going to trick them into church. I'm going to trick them into accepting Christ. Because I've tricked them into accepting Christ. Well, they accepted Christ, right? You know, somebody was talking to me last week about, about you know, a, a medication that they were really, really high on. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, they, they, they were really pressing it and pressing it and pressing it. And I, I'm thinking, wait a minute, here's the thing. You go out and you press this medication that, that doesn't necessarily have the, the, the backing behind it, doesn't have the statistics, it doesn't have the reports, it doesn't have the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the studies behind it that prove what it is that you're saying that it does. You go out and sell this to people and you present it as something that is wonderful and it's going to do this. Well, here's the thing. If it doesn't work, what then happens to your testimony? The next week you might go and present Christ to them. Will they want to hear what you have to say? Be sure of the things in the way that we live our lives so that when we do present Christ, they see that your life is genuine. They see that your life is sincere. They see that your life is right before the Lord. You don't just run after every whim in, 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 in course. But here's the point. He says, don't, Paul, or, uh, Spurgeon is saying, don't compromise simply to win a believer. Preaching strategies centered around the wisdom of men, around emotion, entertainment, human personality, may, they may yield response, but not results for the kingdom of God. Does that mean? It means that you might have a big church, but if it's not based on Jesus Christ and Him crucified, You're dangerously bringing people to a place of destruction. I know he gets a lot of bad press, and rightly so, but there are thousands of churches out there just like him. A Joel Osteen. I don't have a problem saying his name from this pulpit. Who preaches... The present day, your best life now. But doesn't ever talk about sin. I don't like to talk about sin. Well, then you don't like to talk about what Christ talked about. You, didn't, you don't like to talk about what Christ came to give us an opportunity to get away from and not be judged according to. You just want... The here and the today, the better life today. Smile and it will all get you through. Listen, a smile is not going to get you into heaven. And, and much of his preaching has, it, it removes the heart of the gospel. Because here's the thing. Just him saying, I don't talk about hell and I don't talk about sin is saying, I don't teach the whole gospel. I only teach a part of the, of, of the gospel. Here's the reason. Gospel, what's the word gospel mean? Someone. 
Good news. We all know it, right? Good news. Well, how can you know the good news unless you understand the bad news? The bad news is you're lost, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell, and there's no hope for you. Ah, What do I do? How do I escape? How do I escape this judgment? What happens? Wow! How? Oh, well, the good news is that God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son that if you believe in Him, you won't perish in hell, but you'll have everlasting life. It comes down to your, your relationship with Christ, the gift that God has given to you. But know this, if you reject that, you'll be lost for eternity. Let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about hell. Because people don't want to talk about negativity. Well, here's the thing. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody in all of the scripture. And so I'm not going to buy into a Joel scene kind of a mindset where a lot of people have done it because it does fill up the seats and the chairs in, in, the, in the pews, in the, in the sanctuaries. But here's the thing. Does it produce true believers? Many people use slick, entertaining, or even deceptive means to lure people into the church. Justify it by saying, we're drawing them in and winning them to Jesus. But the principle stands, what you draw them with is what you will draw them to. How does that flush out? How does that mean? How do, let's, make that, let's put that into to terms that we understand. I was reading an article um, just two days ago about Hollywood's use, uh, use of... Uh, or I'm sorry, I, I jumped two lines. I'm still not used to my own notes. Um, if you draw them with entertainment... I'm going to back up three points in my little three little bullet points. If you draw them with entertainment... You're going to have to keep them with entertainment. If you draw them with humor and laughter, you've got to keep them with humor and laughter. If you draw them with manipulative stage production, guess what? You're going to have to keep them with manipulative stage production and you're going to have to always be on top of it. Otherwise, what's going to happen? I was reading this, and this is what I was going to say. I was reading an article this this past week uh, about Hollywood's use of an inaudible sound of use use of inaudible sound waves to silently manipulate the viewer's mind. It's called infrasound. Directors oftentimes use this low frequency background noise to to their they add it to their soundtrack to exact a favorable response for their movie. Though such extreme bass waves are inaudible to your ear, they're there and they're called infrasound. They're inaudible to humans. Infrasound has been demonstrated to induce anxiety, extreme sorrow, heart palpitations and shivering, the BBC reported back in 2013. We even understand it in some natural phenomena that we see naturally occurring infrasound. We we think of animals and birds. 
before an earthquake, or before a storm. And they all just kind of are skittering away, and you're going, what are they, you know, where are they going? What are, what's going on? They know something that I don't know. When you see all the animals like scurrying, find something to hide under. I don't know. I used to work with Andy out in, uh, in, at SSR out in, in Lakewood Ranch, and I used to have this little uh, circular uh, uh, path that I'd walk on. You know, it was a three-and-a-half-mile thing at lunchtime that I would I haven't been on it for a while, but, you know, <laughs> haven't been on that walk for a while, Don, have you? No, I haven't, you know. Getting there, started kind of getting back on a diet recently, so, hey, pray for me, but here's the thing. Um, I was walking out there, and on the back side, where there's no, it was out in Lakewood Ranch, it was still, they were building, it was still being developed, and, and I got all the way on the back side, and it was fun to get on the back side, because I'd have my headphones in, and I, I could sing out loud. I'd sing out loud, because there's nothing out there. And I'd sing out loud. Sometimes I'd just be walking and just rocking out to whatever I'm listening to, you know. I was out there one day walking along. And these, you, you see those turkey buzzards that we have here? They're like 25 feet wood wingspan, you know. It's huge things, you know. They're out there. And I saw something way back in, in the weeds back in there. And I'm going, turkey buzzards all the way back in there. Oh, man, out here with no development. Hopefully there's no dead body back in there. And should I go back in there, you know? And so I did. I did. I went back in there. I'm just going, man, I would want somebody to find me if, you know. So I went back in there, and it was a raccoon or something. I don't know what it was. But I walked back out, and I started walking along. And I, I'm, I'm seeing, and I got my headphones on. I'm walking down, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, I just got this eerie feeling. And I look around, and these turkey vultures were out on the street. And one was flying over my head. And I'm going, okay, that's just weird. You know, that's just kind of weird. And so I kept, I started walking a little faster. And I'm like looking up. That stupid turkey vulture followed me. Those turkey vultures, they'd, they'd get up, they'd fly, and they'd stop. And they'd, get, they'd be like 15, 18 yards behind me. It's freaking me out. I'm thinking, do these guys know something I don't know? Am I about to die? You know, I don't know. And, and... I, You know, it was one of those things. I wish a camera was out there so I could prove it to you because here's the thing. I sat there and I'm going, this is not right. And I started running. I started running. I'm going, I'm out of here. The one that flew over my head flew over all the way until I got back into the parking lot. I'm going, man, am I going to die today, Lord? Am I going to die today? Is that thing just waiting for me to... I mean, he might have looked at me and said, that dude's about to die. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he, just, he is not in any shape. Hey, we got some fresh meat over here. I think that's probably what he saw. But, but animals have this idea, and they hear this inaudible sound. And what we might not be able to hear, like dogs can hear a high, high pitch. Animals can hear this naturally sound thing. And, and, and what it does is it, they're, they're, they're attuned to the natural disasters earthquakes and storms it goes on it says quote our response to certain kinds of noise is something so profound in us that we can't switch it off you're powerless to switch it off when you're watching a movie next time know this it's very possible that that director put something in that movie to manipulate your mind in order for you to respond the way he wanted you to respond and you don't even know it you don't even know it Film composers know that and they use it to shortcut the logical part of our brain and get straight to the emotional centers. If people were drawn with entertainment, humor, or stage fascination, then they're 
they will one day be drawn away with the same very things that someone, because someone else is doing it better. If we have to draw them in with these natural infrasound, you know, infrasound. If we have to draw them in with wonderful stage, you know, fascination, you know, humor or laughter, all of these things, we've got to keep them with those things. But here's the thing, guys. If we draw them in with Jesus, we just have to keep them with Jesus. That's the point. That's what Paul was doing. That's what Paul was saying. He's saying it's not human wisdom. It's in Christ, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because you know what? As my dear sister here today was sharing with me her heartache over her brother, I sit here and I go, entertainment can't fix that. Laughter and humor can't take care of that. Stage production can't handle that. But you know what? Jesus can. Right? Jesus can handle everything. When we go through difficult times in our life, human wisdom isn't going to get us through anything. Jesus Christ is. It's the only answer. I've said this before. The very first funeral outside of my own family that I ever did was for a woman over in Fort Lauderdale. They kind of handed it to me on a piece of paper. I didn't know anybody there. They said, hey, you know, Don, you need to go and you need to do this. I said, okay. So I met with the family. The only reason why we were picked is because the daughter had gone to Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale once or twice or something like that, and she was the most spiritual in their family. None of them had a, a church, and so they said, well, you've gone to that church. Why don't you see if a pastor will come over and do the service for us? And so I was picked. You know, with a church of 12,000 people at the time, you're going to have situations like that. So I went. I met the family. I, I consoled them best as I could. And, and then I went in and, and we went into the, the sanctuary there at the, at the uh, funeral home. And it was packed, standing room only. It wasn't one of those huge rooms, but I'd say there's probably a good 120, 140 people in there, maybe 150 people in there, standing room only, over this person. And I said, you know, I didn't know this person. But, but here's the thing. Help me to get to know who she is. Before I get into the message, help me to understand who she is. Do you have any recollection? You want to share something about her life that you can share with us that would help us to understand a little bit more about her. And so they started talking about some of the, some of the most, I mean, things I'm going, ah, I should have worn earplugs. And just looking at her, she was a very hard woman. And, and, and then when they got done and I had to start speaking, I started crying. And the father, her husband, is sitting there and, and the family, they're going, man, what a very compassionate, you know, they, they thought, man, I was a compassionate pastor. I'm just sorry that the matriarch of the family, and really it sounded like she was the leader of this whole crowd, that she had passed away. And, and of course, I was, I was sad for them. Loss is not good on anyone. But my tears were not just because I was sorry for them. My tears were, I was in a room filled with people that, that were lost. They didn't know, have any clue about who Christ was. They had no clue about who Jesus was. They had no clue about relationship with God. The vast majority in there. 
And so I spoke on her behalf. I said, listen, my job is to speak on her behalf. On this woman's behalf. And so I'm speaking on behalf of Rosa today. And I will tell you right now, if you know Rosa, which I've kind of gotten to know her a little bit, she sounds like she would be very opinionated. She'd be, she'd be aggressive with you and she'd talk to you about you know, what it is that you need to know and what you don't need to know. Can I just tell you right now, Rosa, if she's standing in my spot, she would be much more vocal about what it is that I'm going to say. Can I tell you right now, God is real. Heaven is real. And hell is real. I never said that Rosa went to hell. That's a way for you to get beat up. (laughs) As a pastor. You just speak on her behalf and go, you know what? I know, according to what the word of God says, that when the rich man and Lazarus both died, the rich man... He was in the place called Torments and he said, send somebody back and tell my brothers they don't want to come to this place. And so I was that for Rosa. I said, here's what Rosa wants you to know. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That, I, that's what I preach, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I presented the gospel. Now I wish I could say that all of them came forward. I wish I could say one of them came forward. But I don't know what God's going to do with that seed. I am not meant to save anyone. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to try to woo them in. I'm not going to try to entertain them into the kingdom. I'm not going to try to to laugh or humor them in or, or come out with some dazzling clothes, which I did today for you, just for this. Can't my mother in law go, oh. <laughs> Look what my daughter married. Um, here's the thing. When my wife saw me for the very first time, we'd known each other for about eight months on the phone. That sounds really weird. You just have to understand. I was a Bible college. It was all on the up and up, okay? It wasn't, you know, 1976 number or anything like, you know, it was eight. We were calling. She was my point contact in Fort Lauderdale. I was in California. We got to know each other for about eight months. Didn't even have a relationship with one another other than just a business relationship. And, and she came out to the conference. You know, I, I had a conference out in California. She came out. That's a whole other story. But when she came out, she said, when I saw you, I picked her up at LAX airport. I was in a van. I came out and she looked like some business woman. Every hair was in place. Just every single piece of clothes was, was, was pressed and prim and proper. There wasn't any makeup out of place and everything. And I'm even looking worse than this. I'm coming in. I had hair down on my shoulders. You know, I got shorts on. I got a fanny pack. That was back in those days where they were really cool looking, you know. I had a fanny pack on me, you know. And I go up there and, and I see her, you know, and, 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 and we start talking. And later on, she goes, you know, I said, yeah, when I saw you, I'm going, yeah, that's not the woman for me. And she said, when I saw you, I said, yep, that's not the guy for me. <laughs> This guy has never even seen what a GQ magazine looks like. <laughs> he doesn't even know what GQ stands for, you know? And, and I'm going, yep, that's right. Still don't. And I'm proud of that. <laughs> I'm proud of it. Here's the thing. We don't woo anybody into the kingdom. We just preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. Anything more is flesh. Anything more 
is you trying to manipulate something that God has never called you to manipulate. Manipulate. It doesn't mean that we cannot speak to an intellectual on an intellectual level. Please don't hear me wrong on this. There is a place for apologetics. I said that last week. There's a place for cults and those who can argue on cults or debate on cults. There's a place for that. But if that's your whole focus is only cults, only apologetics, I got I to gotta know everything in order that I can, I can fact somebody into the kingdom. It's never going to happen. Nobody has ever been fact into the kingdom. Nobody's ever been intellectualized or academicized <laughs> into the kingdom. Thank you. Here's the thing. The only people who have ever gotten into the kingdom are those who have heard about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Gang, that's it. Now when you leave this place today, you're going to go in Jesus' name, right? In Jesus' name, you're going to go out of this building today. When you go out of this building today, if you're going to go in his name, go in his character and go in his nature And spread Jesus to people. Not you, Jesus. How do you do that? You can be as simple as the blind man. What do you think about Jesus, they said. The council, the religious council that wanted to, to, to punish Jesus for healing this blind man. They actually brought the blind man's mom and dad in and said, hey, is this your son? And they said, well, yeah, you know, he's been blind uh, his whole life. And, and for what happened to him? Listen, it's not us. You know, leave us out of this. We have no idea what's going on. Just leave us alone. Everybody was afraid of the religious rulers. How horrible that you are re- afraid of the religious rulers, that they're going to hurt you or harm you. But the parents go, hey... He's old enough, let him speak for himself. And, and, and the religious rulers ended up turning to the blind man and said, why don't you give us your opinion? What do you think this guy is? Do you think he's the Messiah? And all that he says, hey listen, whether he's the Messiah or not, you guys judge. All I can say is I once was blind, but now I see. That's it. I can just tell you what he's done in my life. I'm not going to try to convince you that he's the Messiah or not. I'm going to just tell you, I used to be blind, I can see now, and this is what God has done in my life. No, we can argue with that. That's why Paul says, it was in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should, be not, should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now go live your life for Jesus, in his name, in his character, in his nature. Live for him and share your testimony. What has God done in your life? We started it out today. I gave you an opportunity. A lot of you didn't take it to share what God has done in your life. Get used to it, gang. Because God handpicked you to represent him today. And I believe this is the last minute church. Now we've got to suck it up and we need to get out there and we need to be these Christians that God has called us to be. I don't got to save anybody. I just got to tell people about Christ. Man, I'm, I'm saying this to myself, man, because I'm, I'm telling you, it's easy for me to be up here and say, you need to do this. Can I tell you this? About the last year, I was telling you to do it, but I'm afraid too, and I didn't open my mouth a whole lot. I'm moving myself out of comfort zone right now, guys. 
I'm saying, I don't care if it's uncomfortable. I'm going to open my mouth about Christ. And I'm trying to talk to people in Home Depot about the Lord. I'm trying to talk, because that's where I live now. And, 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 and at the barbershop, I'm trying to present and open up opportunities about Christ. Kevin does it. At his, at, I, mean, I loved what he just had to say just a few seconds ago. I'm trying, I always try to find the inroad of how to talk about the Lord. And I'm going, man, that's convicting. It was to me. I don't know about any of you guys. Well, Lord, let me be like Kevin. Tall and bald. <laughs> hey, Bob, he had that one coming, didn't he? From what he said earlier to me today, right? Right, right? So. <laughs> he said something. I can't remember what he said, because that's what happens when you get my age. You forget what anybody does, you know, and, and just 10 minutes after it happens. But he reached... Kevin said something to me and reached his hand out to shake Bob's hand and Bob turned his back to him and says, oh, take that knife out of my back as if he stabbed me in the back. It was all a joke. I think. I think it was. I don't remember, but I think it was. Hey, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, we do thank you for laughter and humor, but Lord, that's not the, the medium by which we get saved. We thank you, God, that you gave us emotion and we thank you for given us Don't I know that we'd ever choose it? We even thank you for sorrow. Oftentimes it's in those times of sorrow that, Lord, we see you the clearest. We experience your sustaining ability to keep our knees locked to where they don't buckle and we fall. We thank you, God, for that. Thank you for you. We thank you, God, that you've not made it any more difficult on us. You've not even made it difficult at all. You've just said, here, let me change your life. Now, go out and tell other people what I've done in your life. That's all. I don't have to save anyone. I don't have to go out there and convince anybody to go to heaven. I just have to tell them what you've done in my life. And through what you've done in my life, Lord, if you can help anyone, then thank you. But Lord, help us, each and every one of us, to get out of our comfort zone and walk out of this place today knowing that we are the lights of the world. Help us not to Be so adamant about hiding our light. Knowing that we're, we're a light, knowing that we're saved, knowing that we're going to go to heaven, but hiding that because we're afraid of the confrontations, maybe because we're afraid of our own inadequacies. We may not know all the answers, but Lord, you never told us that we had to know all the answers. You just told us to go. And so, so doing, Lord, help us to walk out of here today with a new boldness that we've never had maybe. Help us this week to maybe just open our mouth to one person. Telling them just what you've done in our life, in, in, in our own individual life. God, use us. Use me. Use us in this church. I know we're small. But Lord, you had a smaller church than this. 
when you were walking among the face of the earth, you had 12 guys that were hanging around you. Well, I know it would grow up to 5, 8, 10, 20,000 people at times, but you chased them off pretty quick too. You know, when he had really the faithful were 12. And you turn the world upside down with 12. What can we do with a number in this room? A number in this room that would say, you know what, Lord, remove my fear. I understand according to what Paul says, he, he came in weakness and fear and trembling, so he, he knows what fear and trembling is. So Lord, if he was able to overcome it, God, give me the ability to overcome my weakness, my fear, my trembling. Help me to open my mouth for you. For in so doing, it will break loose something, I pray, in me that will never be shut off ever again. And that is a willingness to open my mouth for you. I pray, God, that you use every single individual in this church right now, today, this week. Next week when we come back, Lord, I hope and pray that somebody is going to say, hey, you know what? I swallowed hard and I opened my mouth. It didn't go as I had hoped, but you know what? I did it. Or maybe it went far better than I ever dream possible. This is what happened. And then we hear the story of how, Lord, you took one life that was lost when they woke up in that morning and you used somebody in this room to show them the way to you and now they are saved. Whole eternity has been changed because someone was willing to swallow hard, pass off, just remove the discomfort, just disregard the discomfort. And say, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to open my mouth for you, Lord. And because of that, one more person for eternity will change, is changed, and is saved. So Lord, take us from this place with a newfound appreciation for our own salvation and Lord, for boldness to go and share your love and your grace and your mercy to the world around us. Just simply needing to Pound the one nail, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and then share our testimony. In Jesus' name, amen.